When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a stellar Friday as we roll right into the weekend. I am headed up to Ann Arbor, Michigan. One of my sons is in summer camp there. I'm taking the whole family. If you got Ann Arbor, Michigan tips, slide into my DMs. Let me know where I need to go. Uh, Looking forward to spending a couple of days up there. Um, And uh, it should be a fun experience. I'm hoping the weather's a little bit better. Right off the top here, I want to tell you, go buy my book, Clay Travis, American Playbook. Comes out a little bit over three weeks from now on August 8th. Uh, First week, book signings. I will be in New York City, in Cleveland, Ohio, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and in Atlanta, Georgia. The first week of the book signings, we're going to be doing events in those four places. I'm going multiple different locations. Uh, But there is where we will be on the first week. Uh, New York City, um, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Cleveland, Ohio, Atlanta, Georgia. Going many more places over the ensuing weeks, but wanted to give you a heads up. If you're in Cleveland, if you're in Raleigh, if you're in Atlanta, if you're in New York City, we're going to be doing events the week that this book comes out in your cities. Uh, All right, so that is right off the top. Go buy it. It's going to be available everywhere. August 8th. If you want autographed copies, I'll share the link. Uh, I signed 6,000 copies of this book already. So if you just want to get an autographed copy, you don't want to have to worry about it, you can do it. I will share you the link here shortly. All right. Uh, right off the top, uh, some sporting news uh, that uh, that I want to hit and make sure that I get accurate. So I'm going to pull this up on Outkick uh, where we have been covering this. Uh, there's not a lot of sporting news. This is probably the slowest of all of the weeks out there. Tennessee hired Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt was caught cheating. There's been an ongoing NCAA investigation surrounding that for a long time. Tennessee has been fined $8 million. Uh, they uh, $8 million, relatively small. Total reduction, 28 scholarships. Um, and uh, then all of that that, uh, that took place. Um, so... Big deal, not that impactful. All of this has been out there hanging for a long time. Most of the scholarship penalties have already been applied. So there you go uh, as it pertains to Tennessee. Josh Heupel now with a clear runway uh, coming off an 11-win season. No bowl ban, no significant punishment by and large going forward. Frankly, with NIL, scholarship matters less and less, just to be honest with all of you. Uh, because so much money has been raised in NIL. Some guys can almost not even need scholarships because they're making so much on NIL. But uh, factor that in there. Uh, that is uh, that is what is ongoing. That is the Tennessee punishment. Been waiting for years for that final uh, violation. For Jeremy Pruitt himself, by the way, uh, this is uh, pretty significant. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt got a former head coach, six-year show cause, Suspended for the first full season if he's hired by any NCAA school. 
uh, and he is not getting any of his $12.6 million buyout. So if you think about this in general, uh, Tennessee actually is paying a smaller fine than they would have paid if they had just paid out uh, Jeremy Pruitt the $12.6 million that he was owed. Now, maybe that ends up settling. Uh, who knows exactly what the long-term impact there is going to be, but this story officially put to bed. All right, um, CNN, I saw this story, and I've been telling you for a while, I don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrat Party in 2024. If I'm right, and Democrats want to have a full primary competition, Joe Biden needs to step down and announce, I don't mean step down from office, I mean announce he's not going to be running going forward sometime this fall. Now, the challenge for Biden is, as soon as he announces he's not running for re-election, he's basically a lame duck. There's not going to be anything that's passed. Congress is not going to do anything. His power vanishes the moment that he announces he's not running for re-election. But unless Democrats want Kamala Harris to be the guaranteed nominee in 2024, then Joe Biden needs to step down, I think, by Labor Day, certainly by sometime in early October, to allow a primary season to take place and to allow Democrats to select a nominee. Now, I'm reading from CNN. Uh, the com- This is the opening two paragraphs. CNN, I think it's significant that CNN is putting this out. First two paragraphs I'm reading. The conversations keep happening. Quiet whispers on the sidelines of events, texts, emails, furtive phone calls as top Democrats and donors reach out to those seen as possible replacement presidential candidates. Get ready, they urge, in conversations that aides to several of the people involved have described to CNN. Despite what he has said, despite the campaign that has been announced, President Joe Biden won't actually be running for re-election. They feel like time is already running out. The lack of a more robust campaign activity they want to see is a sign his heart really isn't. Uh, So I think this is significant. If CNN is letting this out there, I've been telling you I don't think Joe Biden is going to run. I've been telling you for a while I think Gavin Newsom is going to end up being the nominee. If Biden announces he's not going to run, which I think will happen, I think it'll be 1968-like when Lyndon Johnson announced he wouldn't be the nominee for Democrats, you're going to see a massive influx of people running. Maybe Gretchen Whitmer, certainly Gavin Newsom, uh, maybe uh, Pritzker, uh, maybe Elizabeth Warren, maybe Bernie Sanders, Hobson, who knows? It would be a monster field, certainly Kamala Harris, but I think Gavin Gavin Newsom would end up emerging as the nominee. This would then throw everything into an uproar because is Trump still the guy if it's not a rematch against Biden? I don't know, right? None of us know, but I think the political calculus is going to shift substantially in the fall. You're seeing Biden clearly unable to do the job. I think Democrats all recognize it, even if they won't say it publicly. And the fact that a story like this is coming out from CNN is emblematic of exactly what's going on there. Now, uh, I want to hit this. Bob Iger yesterday addressed a Wall Street Journal front page story 
from Disney World saying that there was a diminished traffic, diminished crowds on a substantial level on July 4th. And Bob Iger, uh, Wednesday, went on CNBC. He directly addressed that claim, and he said it was a lie, that in reality, the reason why Disney World wasn't that crowded on July 4th, which is typically a peak day, was because of the weather. Now, one of our guys out there, I asked this question. I love the audience that we have. Uh, I asked, I said, look, I'm not an expert in weather. I don't know what, this was a 10-year low, by the way, of July 4th crowds at Disney World. And I said, okay, um, I, I can't imagine that the weather was actually so hot that that was the reason why people weren't at Disney World, right? Because usually Disney World uh, trips are planned long in advance. People say, hey, you know what? Uh, like, we're going to go on family vacation to Disney World. People in Orlando might decide whether or not to go based on the weather. But for any of you who have ever been to Disney World with your family, it's typically not a decision that's made in a couple of days in advance. You plan it out long into the future. So one of our uh, listeners went and looked up the data and shared it with me. Um, and he said, hey, Clay, I'll go look. Uh, and he sent this to me. He said, here's the last 10 years of July 4th weather data. And I just shared this on Twitter. Maybe in the short form of this, we can put this graphic up. It complies exactly with what I thought would be the case, which is there's virtually no difference in the last 10 years in what the weather was on July 4th, right? The high was 93. There have been... In those, uh, in that window, seven of the ten July fourths. Sorry, eight of the ten July fourths. The high in Orlando on that day has been 90 or above, including as high as 95. Multiple days of 93. Multiple days of 90. All right. So the high of 93 is about the average high on July fourth in Orlando for the date that just passed. That's a lie. Uh, also, the low is roughly akin to what a typical low is as well, 79 degrees. So the coolest that it's been is 86 for a high, sorry, 84 years and years ago, okay? Every day almost, it feels like, has been either thunderstorms or rainy, which makes or partially cloudy, which makes sense for anybody who has ever been to Florida in the summer when there are often pop-up rain showers that impact the humidity and everything else. My point on this is Bob Iger tried to lie to America by saying, oh, the reason we didn't have huge crowds on July 4th, which is typically a monster day for traffic in Walt Disney World, is because the weather was bad. The weather was the, basically the exact same as it's been on July 4th at Disney World for the last decade. Here is my theory for what is happening. I think woke Disney has caught up now with the theme parks. They've gotten expensive. Lots of parents out there are saying, what in the world is going on with Disney going super woke in all of its programming? I saw this before. I saw it happen at ESPN. Now it's happening at the larger Disney company. And I think parents are deciding, given the cost and given the politics, a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to go to Disney. And people say, well, what's going on at other theme parks? I actually think, first of all, the crowds are not down as much at Universal 
But this makes sense that other theme parks would suffer in Orlando based on Disney, too, because lots of people go to Orlando and then go to multiple theme parks. And I'll give you an example. I went to Disney World uh, with my boys. I went to Magic Kingdom one day two years ago. Or maybe it was last year. I can't remember. Anyway, I had my boys there. We went to Disney World one day. We went to Universal Studios two days. And I went to SeaWorld. So we went not only to Disney, but also to Universal and also to SeaWorld. I think a lot of families do that. They don't just go to one branded theme park, particularly as your kids get older. We went to Magic Kingdom. We went to both Universal Studios and we went to SeaWorld. And so Disney getting woke actually detracts from the attendance everywhere in Orlando uh, because of the, the reduced amount of people who make those trips. So I think this is a big deal. Bob Iger lied. He just got caught in his lie uh, based on the weather, which is stupid. I think Bob Iger used to be a weatherman. Did he think that no one, maybe he did, did he think that no one in the media was going to look up when he said, oh, the reason the crowds were down was because it was hot and rainy, that nobody was going to look it up and say, actually, July tends to be hot and rainy in Orlando every year, and now he gets caught in the lie, which I think is, uh, is further emblematic of the disaster that is the woke Disney universe. So I wanted to share all that. Thanks uh, to uh, to our buddy out there who went and did all the research on July 4th over the last 10 years. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Yesterday, I shared with you the fact that I had put up a poll. 69,000 of you voted RFK Jr. versus Mitt Romney. If you had to make a choice between the two and there were no options otherwise, who would you vote for? 79% said RFK Jr., 21% said Mitt Romney. Uh, And today, yesterday, I put up a poll that is still ongoing. You can go vote. RFK Jr. versus Mike Pence. Tens of thousands of you have now voted. And RFK Jr. is winning 75% roughly to 25%. Let me check that and make sure uh, I shared that a little bit ago to allow everybody to vote during the Clay and Buck show. Um, And I want to make sure what the absolute latest is uh, on those numbers. 75-25. Over 50,000 of you have voted. I said new poll. You can only vote for one. Death isn't an option. Who you got? 75% said Robert F. Kennedy Jr. 25% said Mike Pence. Okay, what's going on here? Well, I actually got a really good comment. I dove in and I said, you know, this is a good way of thinking about it. And the commenter said, what's really going on here, Clay, is not Republican versus Democrat. It's establishment versus anti-establishment. There is a desperate craving for people who are anti-establishment. Mike Pence, Mitt Romney, Paul Ryan, all of those guys are super establishment figures. RFK Jr. is having success, even running as a Democrat. He is dominating in my polls. You guys are voting in monstrous numbers for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. over Mitt Romney, who ran for president in 2012, over Mike Pence, who was the vice president in 2020 with Donald Trump. What's going on here? I think there is a desperate craving for truth-telling. And I don't think it matters whether you are a Democrat, whether you are a Republican. So many people, and I'm in this camp, are still furious over the lies that were told to us during COVID. And I think it extends into Trump's own campaign. 
right, uh, and his presidency. So many lies were told to us, but I think COVID put it on steroids. And uh, certainly everything that surrounds censorship, what is allowed to be said, what is not allowed to be said, that most people are not looking now for a political figure that they agree with on everything. They are looking for a political figure that they believe is going to be honest with them. They aren't looking for purity. They aren't looking necessarily for consistency. They're looking for honesty. Someone who will stand up to establishment power brokers, big drug companies, the COVID shot in general, big tech companies, the FBI, the Department of Justice, everyone that is trying to stifle debate and stifle your ability to say what you believe, they're the enemy. And I think RFK Jr. is hitting, we had him on Clay and Buck, on the themes that this book spends a great deal of time talking about. This book, my book, that's coming out August 8th, is speaking to those anti-establishment trends. And what's interesting is RFK Jr. is maybe more anti-establishment than any Republican that is running. Now, Trump was really anti-establishment in 2016. I don't think he's fully hit the anti-establishment angle in 2024 yet. Uh, and certainly there are lots of candidates, Mike Pence, Asa Hutchinson, uh, I could run through them, that are all quintessential establishment candidates. There is a desperate demand right now for an anti-establishment candidate. And I think RFK Jr. is playing into that, which is why I actually think there's not an awful chance that RFK Jr. could end up being Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate in a unity ticket of sorts. Because I think that would play in with much of the compelling pitch that Donald Trump brought to bear in 2016, that he was an anti-establishment outside of the country club member of the political class. I think RFK Jr. reinforces that element of Trump's popular appeal in 2016. Remember, Trump was never the donor class candidate. He was a bottom-up as opposed to top-down candidate. What do I mean by that? Top-down candidates are raising hundreds of millions of dollars, right? They are bringing to bear tons of money when they run for political office. I'll give you an example from past elections. Jeb Bush was a top-down candidate in 2016, came in with way more money. Donald Trump was a bottom-up. Uh, and I think that RFK Jr. right now is a bottom-up candidate and I think the idea of pairing them together is very fascinating to think about uh, as we contemplate what might happen uh, going forward. So uh, that is, I think, what the poll results in this audience are reflecting. All of you can go share your opinions. Go vote. Tens of thousands have already done it. Uh, I want to mention this, uh, speaking of establishment versus anti-establishment. For much of my career, I felt like I was an anti-establishment character in the world of sports. I came out of writing online. I came out bottom up, you know, bottom down. My audience grew from the base. Now we've got a lot of top-down support, whether it's with the Clay and Buck radio show or Fox News, but we're kind of meeting in the middle now, right? I had to grow an audience that didn't exist from nothing. I legitimately started my career with a fan base of zero, 
And now we have millions of people consuming OutKick content every single day, okay? I, a lot of that ended up me going to war with ESPN. And I think one reason that a lot of you found me was COVID uh, and certainly all the investment that I had done in years and years of producing content. You know, over I started writing online in 04. We're coming up in almost 20 years of me producing content in the social media space, in the internet sphere. So ESPN and the ESPYs, ran a video that dealt with Will Kane talking about why U.S. women made less money than the U.S. men in soccer. And he just made a basic economic argument, which is the U.S. World Cup for men produces billions of dollars in revenue around the world. That is huge percentages of people uh, nationwide and, and certainly around the world are far more interested in men's sports than they are women. The United States actually supports women's sports, I would argue, more than any country in the world. But the reason why the U.S. women's soccer players made less than the U.S. men was because globally, the Men's World Cup produces far more money, and even though the men make a smaller percentage of the revenue, the billions of dollars in revenue, I think it was $5 billion, something like that, in men's World Cup revenue compared to like $100 million in women's World Cup revenue. And that's a rough approximation. Men's basically like 50 to 1 in terms of revenue produced. And Will Kane said that's why the idea of equal pay doesn't make sense. If you produce more revenue, you should get more money. If you produce less revenue, you'll get less. That's the general rule of economics in the world, no matter what you do for a living. Um, and actually... This is why I get so fired up every year when the Women's World Cup happens and people like Megan Rapinoe go on the global stage and rip the United States to shreds. Did you know that you can almost pick the winner of every Women's World Cup match just by comparing the amount of freedom that women have in those countries? Why would that be the case? Because you can't be great at sports when women aren't allowed to wear shorts, right? That makes a lot of sense when you think about it because the number of women that are committing themselves to sports when, let's say in Afghanistan, you aren't even allowed to wear shorts for much of the day, the Afghanistan soccer team is unlikely to be as good as the U.S. women. So what I wish the U.S. women would say what I wish the U.S. women would go on the national stage and argue, the international stage and argue, is, hey, the United States isn't perfect, but the reason why we are capable of having a Women's World Cup champion is because women have the freedom to play sports here. We have basic human rights in America that are not shared all around the globe. And if every country in the world gave their women the same freedom that United States women have, then we would have way more competition. Because people say, wait a minute, why are the U.S. women winning the World Cup, and the U.S. men barely get to the knockout stage. It's considered a success if the U.S. men get to the round of 16. And we hope we went to the round of eight a few years ago, but we haven't made the round of four in like 60 years or 70 years. It's not because the women are better than the men, right? The men would destroy the women. The U.S. men's soccer team could beat the U.S. women's soccer team 50 to nothing if they needed to. Right? If you told the U.S. men, hey, 
your career as professionals demands that you not give up a goal and that you score 50 goals on the women, the U.S. men's soccer team would beat the U.S. women's soccer team 50 to zero. And I'm not sure the women would even get a shot on goal. That's how much better the men are. But our women are better than the rest of the women around the world because men, top male athletes around the world, there's not that much difference in how they're treated. If you're an elite male athlete and you live in Afghanistan, your life is not that much different than an elite male's athletes anywhere else around the world. If you're an elite female athlete and you live in Afghanistan, your life's a lot different. Men, by and large, especially if they're good athletes, have access to high-level training and the ability to maximize their talents, no matter where they live around the world. Whether you're poor in Brazil or rich in America, if you are a stud soccer player, they will find you. Same thing is not true if you're a man. Same thing is not true for women. So what the women's soccer team actually represents is something different than what they think. They actually represent the full flourishment of American freedom and equality. They think that they are discriminated against. Actually, their success is a function of how little discrimination they face and how much equality between the sexes there actually is. And as the U.S. Women's World Cup gets closer, what I would suggest to you is what I just asked. Simply look at every matchup in the Women's World Cup. And to the best of your knowledge, pick the winner without knowing a single player on the teams based on how much freedom do women have in those countries. And almost to a uh, to a T, you will be able to pick the winner just based on which country has more freedom for women because they're better athletes. And the reason why we end up winning is because our women have so much freedom. And by the way, the reason why the best countries in the world at women's soccer are overwhelmingly wealthy Western democracies is because those countries provide the greatest freedom to women. Yay, America. I'd love to hear that from one women's soccer player on the national stage, on the international stage, just once. A um, couple of other things as we finish. Tucker Carlson uh, did a great interview with uh, several of the candidates. We've had most of these candidates on Clay and Buck, but he has basically stepped out of the political shadows. Super involved in Iowa today. Also, Wall Street Journal story that he is potentially going to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for a new media company. Uh, that is a story worth following if you are at all interested in media, as there is going to be, I believe, a massive explosion uh, in new media companies. I did this years ago, right? I started OutKick back in 11. I was way ahead of the curve. I sold OutKick a decade later, two years ago to Fox. I think you're going to see an explosion in individual talent putting together new media companies. I think there is a ripe marketplace for it. I think there's a massive amount of money out there that people want to spend to create these new media talent front-facing companies, uh, and I would say that Tucker is going to be emblematic of that massive marketplace shift, uh, but good interviews going on right now uh, between Tucker and a lot of candidates. Finally, I saw this story and I thought, I love that this is a controversy right now. In Spain, uh, there is a controversy surrounding bullfighting. It's not the controversy you might expect. The controversy is this. Should midgets 
be able to fight against bulls. Uh, they are trying. There's been a, a, a movement afoot to end bullfighting and uh, in Spain for a long time, as many of you well know. And now they have a new bill passed, and there is a huge political dispute over whether Midget should be able to fight bulls. I thought this was amazing. I thought this was super funny. Uh, and so I would encourage all of you to check out that story that is up on OutKick as we go into the weekend. Everybody's fighting all the time about all these different issues. I love that Spain right now has a midget bullfighting controversy. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I also think this ties in with the new Snow White. Reports are the new Snow White's only going to have one little person, uh, and that is Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, uh, and everybody else is going to be woke. And this is just further example of the disaster that is coming from woke Disney. All right. I love all of you. My name is Clay Travis. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This is Outkick the Show. And go buy your book, uh, American Playbook. I appreciate all of you. And I hope all of you have fabulous weekends. I'm headed up to, uh, to Michigan. And I cannot wait to get there. I'll see you guys.